So here we are, we're at the start of Advent, we've, we've been on our, our, our Christmas talks now for a, for a few weeks, because I decided to take a long run out um, at this, rather than trying to cram it um, in the last couple of weeks before Christmas. And we're just looking at, um, we've been looking at Christmas characters, maybe ones that are le- less noticed around the Christmas story. Um, we have done that for the past couple of weeks, we had a, a week looking at Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, and then last week we, we had to be look at John the Baptist. But today we're, we're going a bit more traditional. Today I want to talk about Joseph. Joseph, um, husband of Mary, stepdad of Jesus. We know this guy, right? So very much a central figure um, in the Christmas story. And J- Joseph is, I always find Joseph a real interesting character. He's a bit of a, an enigma because we don't really know a lot about Joseph other than um, the story that we're going to look at today, this, the, the Christmas story. He, he, he comes up again in various parts of um, Jesus' childhood. So when Jesus is 12 and he goes to the temple, there, there's a, Joseph's back in the story at that point. But other than that, we don't really know um, much about him. But of what we read about him in the, um, I guess, the nativity story, the, the Christmas story, there, there's a lot, a lot to learn um, from him. But we do know, as we come at this story, that Joseph is soon to be married to Mary. We know that he's the non-biological father of Jesus, that he was a carpenter. But beyond that, we don't really have much, much else to go on. So let, let's go to Matthew 1, um, and we'll uh, start at verse 18, just a, a couple of verses. Um, so, Matthew 18, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Okay, so here we find out that that Joseph, sorry, Mary, in old-fashioned terms, was betrothed to Joseph, right? She was promised to him and marriage. They were pledged to be married. They were engaged, but they weren't engaged in the way that we would understand an engagement in our culture. So sometimes it can be a bit confusing to understand what Matthew means um, when he talks about they were engaged or they were betrothed. Um, because in this story, if we find out that Joseph um, plans to divorce Mary because of this pregnancy, but if they were just engaged, you don't need a divorce, right? In our culture, you you know, if you're that kind of guy, you just break the engagement, right? If you're not that kind of guy, you're a good guy. Um, but you can just break it off, pretty much. There's no, there's no legal context around it. It's, a, it's a, an agreement or a promise between two people. There's no legality around it. But in, um, in this era, at that time, marriage was like a three-step process. So the first step was engagement or betrothment, which was, usually was, it was a contract um, arranged um, by, uh, by a family, uh, or between two families, sorry, or, or an intermediary would be involved to bring two families together, and they would help determine whether the couple would be good for one another, right? So there's, there's this whole kind of like um, vetting process between the two families. Now, you can imagine doing that today, like that would go down pretty, pretty badly. Imagine your mum and dad picking your future wife or husband, I mean, I'm a long way down the line married, but even now, the thought of my mum and dad picking me a wife, jeez. 
That was, uh, that was never going to happen. I was always going to do my own thing on that one. So we wouldn't do it culturally. That's just not, not what we do. Um, and the arrangement for this marriage was, was often made when the, the, the two people were children. So this is families planning the marriage while their, their kids are very, very young. And it was usually happened without the couple who were going to be married even knowing each other. And this was actually likely to be the case with Mary and Joseph because Mary was from Nazareth and Joseph was from Bethlehem. So they actually lived in two different cities. So the chances that they were going to be in each other's companies, even as children, was unlikely. So they've probably, at this point, not known each other that long. So that's the first step, was the kind of bringing an arrangement to bring two people together. The second step of the process was called betrothal. So this is similar to engagement, but it was much stricter, uh, and there's a bit of legality um, around it. Because the only way that a betrothal could be broken was by divorce. You had to get a, 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 a legal divorce um, through the temple, through, through priests. And, and for all practical purposes, at this point of the betrothal, the couple are really considered to be husband and wife, although they wouldn't live together as a, as a married couple would. But in every other um, way you would look at that, they would be married. And normally the betrothal period would last about one year. And then the third step is when the couple are officially married, had a ceremony, and then there'd be a celebration, um, and they would begin life as a married couple. So that's, that's the, the, the way it was set up in the culture. So when we land in this story of Mary's pregnancy, Joseph and Mary are in stage two of this process. They're, this is during the time of their betrothal. So there is a, there is a, a formal arrangement of marriage in that sense, in one respect. Um, and that's when Mary became pregnant. So they weren't living together as man and wife. They were betrothed to each other, and yet Mary was pregnant. Um, now, I've spoken to Joseph a few times, and, 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 I, and I always come back to this thing, that Joseph's first thought when he got the news about Mary's pregnancy was that she'd been unfaithful. It must have been, isn't it? It'd be a natural instinct to think that. And I'm sure he would have been heartbroken, upset, probably a bit angry, confused. Um, and Joseph had a choice to make here when, when this news broke because um, he would have been in the culture, he would have been within his rights to actually publicly humiliate Mary, like to put on her, like, like a publicly stating that this woman has been unfaithful to me. She's, she's pregnant, it's not my child, and he could have humiliated her publicly. And even there was also laws there that in certain situations, uh, a woman who became pregnant outside of marriage could be put to death. So this isn't a, you know, just a, a bad situation that Joseph's trying to make good. This is, could have been life and death, but certainly there was a, an opportunity there for him to really put Mary through the mill if he so choose. But as we read in Matthew 1, Joseph is a just and righteous man. That's what I love about Joseph. He, ha- he decided, and most likely with counsel with, with, with other people, that he was, rather than humiliate Mary, he was just going to quietly divorce her without any fuss, and he would just go their separate ways and live their lives. And also in those days, divorce wasn't 
uncommon, um, and if done quietly and discreetly, then Mary would probably been able to move on with her life and, and lead a good life and eventually get married. And that was the, really Joseph made that choice to, to put Mary in that position rather than one of public humiliation. Um, and, and one of the consequences, though, of divorcing Mary quietly was this, that, that by divorcing her quietly, when it became known that Mary was pregnant, they would have assumed that it was Joseph's child because he hadn't created a fuss over it and that the divorce was caused by another reason other than adultery. So again, Joseph is protecting Mary's honor to some degree here. He's being really just and full of integrity over this situation. And it might have been thought that Joseph was, it could have been thought also that Joseph was maybe trying to cover something up, maybe covering up in Mary's um, perceived adultery, etc. But, you know, he could have made a big deal of it and he didn't. And I love that. Instead, what Joseph did here, and this is, this is really, the, 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 I think, the, the, the mark of Joseph and what we can learn from him. That instead of putting Mary out to public humiliation and making her the object of, of that kind of thing, Joseph decided to put his own reputation at risk rather than Mary's. If Joseph had publicly humiliated Mary and, and did the whole um, public thing, he would have come out looking quite good because he would have been the party who'd been harmed. But rather than that, Joseph actually took the responsibility on himself and he put his reputation on the line rather than Mary's. So I think that this quiet divorce that he was planning was actually tells us a lot about Joseph's integrity and about his character. It says something about doing what is right, even when it's difficult, even when it's uncomfortable, and maybe even when it's unpopular. I'm pretty sure that Joseph would have been getting advice saying, you need to make, you need to make sure that your reputation's intact here, that this isn't nothing to do with you, it's all about her, but he decided not to do that. He stood his ground and his character shone through. Some might have, like I've just said, said that this is an act of honor and courage, but others might have said it was total stupidity, that he's put himself in an impossible situation. But whatever the reasoning and the motive behind Joseph's thought process, the matter was about to be taken out of his hands. So we read on in Matthew 1 verse 20. So this is Joseph now. He's in his mindset of thinking, right, I'm going to quietly divorce Mary. We're going to do this as discreetly as possible. And it says this, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you're to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So Joseph is in the middle of this quandary, this inside debate, may have spoken to somebody about it, we don't know. But as soon as Joseph hears from God through the angel, Joseph does as the angel commanded and he takes Mary as his wife. Joseph must have been someone who knew the voice of God. Because this is a big turnaround in his thinking, isn't it? He must have known the voice of God because he did exactly as the angel said and he took Mary to be his wife. And by doing this, Joseph was then claiming responsibility for Mary 
because she's about to become his wife, and this child because he would become recognized as the child's father. And then imagine the people, once Joseph made this decision, imagine the people as they're going around the town or the village together, Mary's showing her pregnancy, and they're not married, and they're together still, and the rumor mill would have been going around like wildfire, right? They would have been getting talked about, the comments, the looks. Thankfully for them, there was no social media back then, or as we all know, they'd have had it tough through that. But Joseph believed the angel. He believed what God said. He trusted. He had faith. And Joseph was obedient to God's call. But he learned here that there's often a cost when we follow the call of God in our lives. He realized that there's always, or often there is, a cost when we follow the call of God in our lives. You see, when God wants something accomplished, when he wants to do something through us, God isn't looking for public approval. He isn't looking, you know, for people to uh, just in, endorse what he's doing. He wants his people, when he asks us, calls us to do something, he just wants us to be obedient regardless. And if you choose to live a life of obedience to God, as Joseph did, there'll be times when, like him, your reputation might take a hit or two along the way. There may be times when people think, what people think about you is the opposite of what you know to be true. Your life may, like Joseph's, become the subject of gossip, rumor, speculation. People will say things about you, potentially, even when they're totally ignorant of the facts around what you're doing. They might even have facts from a reliable source, right? But you know what a reliable source is? A reliable source is another name for a gossip. Right? A reliable source is a gossip. So, so they might have just heard it from a gossip for, a, for someone talking about someone else when they're not there. And it just comes with the territory. It's part of the cost of following the call of God. Because as you go through the, 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 the scriptures, when you follow God, when you are obedient to God, when you're doing things that God calls you to do, very often these are not popular things that are going to boost your ego or boost your reputation. We see this kind of thing a lot um, in, in our media and also in our social media. People jump into conclusions from a headline or just a small piece of information before they know the facts. In fact, quite often what I think now is people don't even look for the facts. They see the headline or the story and they take their opinion or their view based on very little information. And then people start making phone calls and texting people about it. Oh, did you hear about such and such? Did you hear what's going on there? Did you hear what they said or they did? And that's our world. I think that's always been our world. It's not just easy. That's always been our world. But you know, it is wrong. It is wrong. But there's times when that might happen. Someone's reputation can be ruined. And it's rare to receive an apology, even when you're found out to be in the right. And that's what people do. They jump to conclusions whether they have the facts or not. You know, in our church, from the day that we planted this church, we have tried and worked hard 
to embed in a culture of always thinking the best of people. Always thinking the best of people. The person who gives you, uh, you, 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 you say hello to someone and you don't get a great response, what, what do you do with that? Or they're a really ignorant, unfriendly person. Or do you think, they might have had a hard week this week. Or I wonder what's going on in the background. We should always be thinking the best of each other. Because the reality is, only God knows our heart and knows our motives. And when we start putting, imposing our opinion of someone's motives on someone, we're on very dangerous ground. Because we're in areas of judgment there. And God said, that's a reserved right for me, for him, not me, for him. That's a reserved right for God to do, not for us. So I'm pretty certain this is what the public were doing to Joseph and Mary over this time. They're in town at the temple, within their family, in the marketplace. Everybody would have their opinions, and their opinions were probably wrong. In fact, they're most likely to be wrong, because who's going to come up with the idea? I think it's probably a miracle. <laughs> it's a miraculous, you know, um, conception. The likelihood is that they would, people had their opinions, but they'd be wrong. In the same way, the church, including our church, is not called to judge, but what we are called to do is to hold one another accountable. You see, we can be honest with each other, and we can listen to each other, and we can take on each other's flaws and failings, we can confess to each other, but we don't judge, we choose to be accountable. Does that make sense? Right? So you, 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 you're honest and open with someone, and you choose accountability over judgment. Because we don't always know the entire situation that people are in. We don't know their facts. We may think we do, but usually there's a backstory we're totally unaware of. And this is really important. Like I've already said, we don't know what is in someone's heart. We, we really don't know what's in someone's heart. We may see the actions, but we don't know the heart behind it until the heart is revealed to us. So to judge another person is to look into their heart and that's never appropriate because that's for God to do. Accountability, yes. Judgment, no. Yeah? You with me? Yeah. Accountability, yes. Judgment, no. And if you really want to know what's going on in a situation with someone, go to the source. Go to the source. If you've got an issue with someone, you're not, you know, go to that person and just talk. Quite often, if some, it's happened to me, people come to me and they'll have an opinion about another person and I'll, I'll ask, the first question I'll ask is, how did they respond when you address it with them? And if it's like, well, I haven't spoke to them, I'll be like, well, why are you talking to me then? We're adults, guys. We're grown-ups. You know, we don't do it through third parties. We have to be honest and open. We make ourselves accountable to each other. And if we do that, that will honor and glorify God. It minimizes dissension and division. And that'll do that in whatever your environment, but I can tell you it minimizes division and dissension within the church. We don't want that, right? We don't want that, right? Who wants to come to church and feel there's a division and there's two camps and there's that group and that group and they're fighting together? Guys, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. We have to call it out and say that's not... God's plan. Joseph wasn't looking for approval. He was looking to do the right thing. And we see this 
uh, and Paul, Paul's attitude in Galatians, Galatians 1 and 10, Paul says, this is a question, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God, or am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. If I am trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. It's quite a big statement from Paul. But Paul likes to be in your face, doesn't he? In his letters, that's part of his charm. It's part of his style. But Paul lived it out. He lived it out. And Paul understood that his first job, and really his only job, was to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus. That's why we can look to him as a good example. And that can be difficult as for, to, to grasp this thing because often we do look to please, to please people before we please God. We're all guilty of that, right? We do want to please people. And that doesn't mean that you don't go to other people to seek advice or counsel or discuss things or talk things through because that would not be wise to just keep it to yourself. But we also have to realize that part of obeying, obeying God means that we can't overly worry about our own reputation. We can't be concerned about how we look. There's times when you have to put your reputation to one side in order to follow God's call. There's an expression I've heard that says your, your reputation is who people think you are and your character is who you really are. Your reputation is who people think you are, but your character is who you really are. See, God chose Joseph and Mary because of who they were, not because of who other people thought they were. Yeah? God chose them because of who they were, not who other people thought they were. If you have character... God can use you even if no one else sees your potential. And also, God can use you whether you have a positive or a negative character. God has used people of negative character like powerfully. You know the story of Jonah? Jonah didn't have a good character, but thousands of people turned to God through jo Jonah's um, obedient, eventual obedience. But we do really want God to use our positive character because we also want to be refined and become better, more like him, so we can be used for the glory of God. Joseph was a man of character. He was a righteous man. So when he faced a situation regarding Mary's pregnancy, not his reputation, but his character kicked in. His character kicked in. And he sought to protect Mary rather than, rather than worrying about his reputation. His goal was to honor God with his actions. You see, real obedience takes courage because we must be willing to protect our character even if it's at the cost of sacrificing our reputation. Let me say that again. Let us think. Real obedience takes courage because we must be willing to protect our character even at the cost of sacrificing a reputation. Matthew's Gospel finishes this story by telling us this. 
Matthew 1:22. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message to his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. That's in Isaiah 7. It said, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born and Joseph named him Jesus. The final point very quickly is this, that when we're obedient to God, that opens a door for more of God in your life and for God to do more through your life. Joseph put his reputation to one side. His friends and family might have been calling him crazy. There's no way you should be doing this. You can't get away with this. This is just a crazy thing to be doing. But Joseph had radical, courageous obedience. And when our character kicks in, the ramifications go beyond what we know. The ramifications of Joseph's obedience went far beyond his own life. His act of obedience not only changed his life, but changed the world forever. Joseph's obedience to God is a key part of God's plan for the Messiah to come. Because of Joseph's courageous obedience, he raised the Son of God. And through his life and death, through Jesus' life and death, the price of our son was paid. If Joseph and Mary had not been willing to obey God, then God's plan through them would not have happened. See, we need to keep this in mind because the consequences of our, our, our obedience or our disobedience may not always be immediately obvious. But when we say yes to God, we are opening the door for things beyond what we can see to happen. There's a famous story, you probably know this one, but there's a guy called Mordecai Ham. What a handle that is. Imagine being called Mordecai Ham. But he was a revival preacher from the early 20th century, traveled throughout the southern USA, preaching in a tent. And there were dozens of preachers like him in those days around the US. And he was reasonably well-known, but he wasn't like a big-name preacher. He wasn't... Um, one of the special guys, I guess. And one night, he, so his, his, the way he operated was he would put an invitation out for people to come forward and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then this particular night, a number of people came forward to accept Jesus. And one of the people who came forward that night was a teen, teenager named Billy Graham. And it's estimated that 2.2 million people made a decision to follow Jesus under Billy Graham's preaching. Who would have known? So here's a guy just doing his thing that God has called him to do. He felt called by God to go preaching and offer people salvation night after night after night. And just one of those people that we know of anyway, because of his obedience, led, we believe, about two million people into the arms of Jesus. Yeah? See, we don't know our obedience to God, putting our character before our reputation has repercussions, good repercussions, beyond what we can see. See, when you say yes to God, your life changes forever. Yeah? yeah? We know that. But what's more, your obedience to his call has a ripple effect. It changes the lives of those around you in ways you might never know. And it takes courage to be obedient, 
but it also comes with a reward. And your obedience, and this is what I want to really encourage you today, your obedience, you're saying yes to God in his own way fulfills God's plans. Not just the plans for your life, but the plans for others. And who knows, maybe the yes, the obedience that you give to God can change the world forever. Just in the same way that Joseph's, Joseph's did.